Welcome to Houston Sports Talk with your host, Robert Land. Hey, we've jumped back in our time machine for another Throwback Thursday. And this week, we're going to go back to my conversation with one of my favorite Rockets of the 1980s, Roddy McRae. For those of you too young to remember, he was the third pick in the 1983 draft the same year the Rockets picked Ralph Sampson. Three years later, he made the out-of-bounds pass to Sampson on that unforgettable last-second shot against the Lakers that put the Rockets in the 86 Finals. I was thinking of McCray this week with the trade deadline having just passed because in 1988, he was traded as part of the deal to get Otis Thorpe. And Thorpe was key to the 94 Rockets championship. Then Thorpe was dealt for Clyde Drexler. So basically, McCray was crucial for three Rockets trips to the finals and two championships. McCray is now the head coach at Victory Prep High School here in Houston. And early in the conversation from three years ago, I asked him about one of his players, Jared Vanderbilt, who at that time was about to go to Kentucky. Turns out Vanderbilt was part of that four-team deal the Rockets just made to get Robert Covington and is now in Minnesota. What a career Rodney McRae had. I asked him about playing under Louisville legend Denny Crum, playing with Akeem, winning a championship with Michael Jordan, and guarding the likes of Larry Bird, James Worthy, and Dominique Wilkins. He did all of that. He also talks about what it was like to be a part of the NCAA Tournament Classic between Phi Slamma Jamma and the Doctors of Dunk. Without further ado, let's get in the Wayback Machine and talk to the freight train, Rodney McRae. McRae at midcourt looking, goes to level, nice pass, level's going to drive to the basket, he turns and reverse layup, no tip in McRae with one second to go! Rodney McRae tipped it in with a second to go! Rodney, I remember uh, back when you you uh, were drafted back in 83, and in my bedroom I used to have a Nerf ball, and I would pretend to, to be Rodney McRae, have the uh, line drive jump shot that you had. Uh, what do you remember about those days, just... Uh, you get the call that you third pick of the draft and, and you're going to be a Houston Rocket. You're coming to Houston. Well, it seems like it was just yesterday. Um, just um, first realizing that all your hard work uh, paid off, uh, was about to pay off, and uh, a dream come true, getting the opportunity to play in the NBA and um, to come to a great city, warm weather like Houston was exciting. Uh, had only been here one other time, and that was – my freshman year, as we uh, made our way to the NCAA championship game, we came through Houston and played Texas A&M and uh, LSU to get to the Final Four. So it was um, it was just a culmination of all your hard work and uh, that you finally got to the you know top of your profession, and uh, it was just a great feeling at that time. I want to talk to you more about the Rockets and also your stint in Louisville, but you've been coaching Jared Vanderbilt, who's one of the top 25 guys in the country. He's decided to go to Kentucky next year. Now, you're a Louisville guy. Did that hurt you a little bit when you heard he goes, I'm going to Kentucky? <laughs> yeah, it, it, hurt, it hurt me. Uh, we, we joke about it, but um, I remember when I first met him um, over four years ago. I saw him for the first time just go through workouts. Uh, I called up to Louisville. I said, look, I just got a young man that enrolled at the school. He's special talent he's going to be something you know something special uh you know to keep you need to keep him on the radar so i did reach out and let him know a long time ago but um 
You know, he's been recruited for over four years. He's played uh, with the Houston Hoops AU, um, and everybody's had opportunity to see him. But uh, I think he, at, at the final decision, he made a good choice for himself, and uh, he's, he's excited. I'm excited for him. But uh, UK is getting, you know, a, a great talent and somebody who could, uh, if he keeps working hard, uh, can do some things at the next level. But uh, it's going to be an adjustment. When you come from high school to college, um, especially going to the University of Kentucky, we know that they um, that their uh, coach Cal pushes them, and um, they they perceived as the one and done school. So uh, he's going to get them ready in a short period of time. So um, I've just been feeding him like you got to be mentally and physically ready when you step on campus uh, come June. Let me take you back to your recruiting process. You're a kid out of New York, right? You're Mount Vernon, I believe, was yes. where you're from. So when you're doing, going through the recruiting process, you know, how did you come up with Louisville? And tell me about getting recruited by Denny Crum. It was a different circumstance for me. I had an older brother, Scooter, who's 16 months older than me, and um, I was able to see firsthand the recruiting process uh, a year before it was really my turn. So I sat in on all the um, – speeches and uh, the sales pitches as far as why you should come to this school and where we're going to play you, what we um, what we envisioned our team being like with you. So, um, and I see it was basically I was sitting there a year before, but it just was my brother who was being recruited. So he uh, narrowed his choices down, and um, our high school coach had just got a job at Wichita State University. My brother just narrowed his choices down to you know Wichita State Marquette, who our next door neighbor Earl Tatum at the time had attended the school St. John's locally. He had scheduled a visit to Louisville, but the time he was supposed to visit, they had a terrible snowstorm, so he wasn't able to make that visit. And uh, he was pretty much set to attend Marquette. And at that time, Al McGuire was the coach, and they were, you know, coming off winning a national championship. Plus, our next door neighbor had went there, so he was, you know, pitching his sales uh, bid to also. And uh, I remember when Al McGuire decided he was going to retire at the end of the, that year, and uh, Hank Ramos took over. And when he came in and um, his home visit, I sat in and. At the end of that home visit, uh, my brother was like, I think I'm you know, I'm going to attend Marquette. What do you think? I said, everything sounds pretty good, but he never told you where he would play you and things like that. And I, and I expressed to him, I said, when my turn comes, I'm going to try to take all my visits, which at that time I believe was six. And he had uh, decided not to go to Louisville since they had canceled, canceled his trip. But uh, Coach uh, Houston, who was Allen Houston's father, who was the top recruiter for Louisville at the time, called him and said, look, we got another recruit coming in. Uh, we'd like for you to come the weekend of the banquet. So he decided to take that, that trip and met Wiley Brown, who uh, wound up attending the University of Louisville. When he came back, he said, I'm going to Louisville. He said they hit it off well. It was a small community that loved basketball. And he just had a great time, and that's how he he decided to go there. Now, next year, it was just a matter that I want to continue playing with my brother or not, and we had so much success at Mount Vernon winning uh, a couple of state championships that we I decided to see if we could do this at the next level, which was the college level, and uh, we've had a lot of success down there 
and the community just embraced us. There was a small university where you could walk to your classrooms. You interacted a lot with the students, and that was just reminded us a lot of Mount Vernon, New York. Then you get to play with uh, Daryl Griffith, Dr. Duncanstein, one of the great nicknames in all of basketball, and you guys win a championship in 1980, uh, you know, almost, almost right out of the gate. So what was it like to play with uh, Daryl Griffith, and what, can you, what do you remember about playing with him? Well, I remember my brother's first year, and uh, I think uh, Griff had uh, played one summer with the World, Universe, World uh, University Games, and they showed him jumping over a player. First thing out of my mouth was, does, does, does Griff jump as high as they say he jumped? He was like, yeah, he jumps that high. So I just couldn't wait to get there so I could see for myself. But I knew going in that they had a young team because when my brother went there a year before, they had four talented freshmen that came in the year before I arrived. So when I made a selection to go there, a lot of people were like, well, you're going there. They're a young team. You think you're going to be able to play? I was I was like, I'm confident no matter where I go that I'm going to play as long as I work hard. And plus, I want to be pushed every day in practice. But when I stepped onto the uh, campus my first uh, week and we were just working out, and I was like, whoa, this is, you know, this is going to be a little tougher than I uh, thought it was going to be. But the competition level in practice was so high that when it came time for the game time, it, was, it just made it that much easier because you knew if you didn't bring your A game that somebody coming in off that bench might – play that night, play well, and you might not get back in the game. So you was always on your toes, ready to compete, practice, and um, it worked out for the best for us. Three Final Four appearances in four years at that time was pretty much unheard of. You you didn't win the game in 83 that everybody remembers around here against U of H, but it was one of the great games ever. Uh, what, what was it like to be in that atmosphere? And I believe that was in New Mexico, right, in Albuquerque? Yes, yes, it was uh, – you know, all year long, uh, we, we we were considered basketball junkies, and we were when we weren't playing, we were watching. We were watching ESPN, who had just burst onto the scene. And I remember after some games, I would be in my dorm, and there was a guy on the second floor, and we just come in the hallway and start talking. You see ESPN? Did you see North Carolina? Did you see James Worthy uh, last night? And uh, it was just. Uh, you see U of H, you see five slammer jammer. So we've always thought to be the best, you had to play the best. And uh, during that senior year, me and my brother was like, what do you think the game would be like uh, if we played Houston? And uh, we knew we were on a collision course. If we continued to do what we were going to do and they were going to do that, eventually we would meet. And uh, it wouldn't have been the same to get to championship game if you didn't have opportunity to play with who you considered could have been or was the best team in the country that year. But uh, it was a great game. It was a great hype. It lived up to the hype. And, uh, of course, we were on the short end of the stick, but it was one of those games that's going to last for you, last in your memory forever. You get drafted by the Rockets, and, you know, after playing with all the great teams in Louisville, the good news is you're great enough to get drafted early in the draft. The bad news is, that was a really bad team you guys came in on, you and Ralph. Uh, what was that like that first year? And you walk in and you w- go from Denny Crum to Mr. Happy Bill Fitch. <laughs> <laughs> well, the year before we got there, they had won, I believe, 16 games. 16 or 14 games, I believe it was 16. So me and Ralph, I was like, I know we're going to be able to win at least uh, 20-something games. We're going to win more than 16 games. But um, 
we were on a um, a, a plan, a, a five-year plan to just keep getting better, add players along uh, each year. And uh, not only did me and Ralph come in, we also had Craig Elo, who was part of that team. Uh, most people remember him as playing for Cleveland, but he did start out in Houston. But we were fortunate enough to come to a team that had a lot of veteran leadership. Elvin Hayes was uh, getting ready to retire at the end of the year. Um, Robert Reed had come back. Uh, they had a lot of guys who had been to the finals in 81 that pulled two rookies to the side and said, you know, if you want to last here, this is what you need to do. You need to take care of your body. You need to get your rest because it's a long season. I remember just running up and down the court just fast as I could every practice. And one of the guys pulled me aside. like, you do know we play 82 games, right? You need to slow down. I was like, oh, okay. So, but it made a difference for me and probably Ralph uh, and a lot of veterans a lot of rookies coming into situations where the veterans took them up under their wing and kind of showed them the ropes, and that uh, allowed us to be successful in the, in the NBA. You get Elijah on the next year, and, and they, when they make that draft pick, you know it's going to be Akeem and Ralph, the, the, the Twin Towers, the really the original version maybe of the Twin Towers you see today. We just, we just got Boogie Cousins and Anthony Davis together. Uh, what did you think? How did you think that was going to work? And as the guy that was out front there, you had to like it because you knew if somebody got by you, they weren't getting very far. Absolutely. Well, when they drafted me the year before, there was a lot of speculation that they were going to take. Uh, you know, they were looking at Clyde. They were looking at Dale Ellis. They were looking at guys that could score. And at that time, when they were interviewing players, I don't believe they had made a selection of which coach they were going to bring in. Because remember, Dale Harris had been let go, and they were still kind of searching for a coach. And our, our CD, who was Carol Dawson at the time, I believe, was part of the scouting department, and he was, you know, they bring people in to work out. But when Coach Fitch got the job, right away he said he was looking for a complimentary player who didn't, uh, wasn't uh, per se looking to score. We needed somebody that could get the ball to Ralph at that time and just play his role because I like to play defense, like to get the ball to the open man. I was pretty much all-around ball player. So after our rookie year, which we thought was a, a successful year, we get lucky. Like you said, we got Elijah Wan, and I'm like, I remember just hearing that we won the coin toss and they were going to select uh, Elijah Wan. So I was like, okay. My first thought was, like, which one of those two guys are going to play the power forward? And uh, Ralph, who always thought he was a guard, said, I'll play power forward. So it really made my job a whole lot easier. Instead of having one guy to throw the ball to, I had two of them, and you just play off of them. But, again, we still had – we had – picked up John Lucas. We had Lewis Lloyd who loved to score. We had Mitchie Wiggins coming off the bench. So the team was really looking pretty good. And uh, like I told you, we were on a five-year plan, and we got to the finals in three years. So it was it was pretty successful. We liked our team. We liked the pieces. And it was like a puzzle. Everybody fit together. They knew their roles, and we played it to the T. Did the fans take a, a while to warm up to you? Because I know there was a contingent out there that – Wanted to see him draft Clyde Drexler. You know, he played for Five Slam and Jamma. He was a Houston kid. I'm sure you, you understood the way they felt about that. And, you know, you, you came in, and they, they, they probably thought, well, this guy's the guy that just beat, you know, this guy just took on Clyde and played him, and, 
and Clyde beat him and all that kind of thing. Did it take a while to kind of warm up to you? Well, um, I know coming in that uh, every time I stepped out on the court that I had to uh, be ready to play and play well because uh, if you don't, you know, see, I told you they should have took Clyde and all this stuff in. My whole thinking was, and uh, the night before the draft, me and Clyde sat in the hallway and were talking about just living, you know, tomorrow we're going to, you know, fulfill our dream. So I felt as though if they picked Clyde that they would have been making a great decision. But I also felt that I was a good player. And there was other players in the draft that were pretty good players that they could have t- taken too. So you look at it now, uh, Clyde's a top 50 player. Um it worked out well for him, and um, it worked out pretty good for me too. But there, there's people today like, I can't believe that they, you know, uh, took you over Clyde. And you got some people that said they made, you know, a good decision because they needed a complimentary player at that time. And uh, I believe Clyde, when he first came in, when he went to Portland, they had penciled him as, as a three-man. But we know he turned out he was a great one of the greatest two men, uh, two guards in the NBA history. So um, I was just happy to be drafted no matter where I went. I'm glad I came to Houston. But if I'd have went to Kansas City, I'd have been happy. And uh, but at the end of the day, it worked out well for both of us. Uh, eventually, Clyde made his way back here. He won the championship. And in a way, uh, you got us Clyde because they traded you and Jim for. Jim Peterson for uh, Otis Thorpe, Thorpe, and then Thorpe ended up getting dealt for for Clyde Drexler. So it all worked out, and both of those guys were very critical parts, obviously, of them winning both of the championships. I wanted to also talk to you about the nickname, because I remember as good a nickname as the dream was as a kid, I loved, you know, the freight train. Where where did that (laughs) come from? I believe uh, McCoy McLemore was no longer with us. Uh, It could have been Bill Orwell. It was like uh, anytime you see him on the break, he's going straight to the basket. And uh, that was my way of thinking, like, okay, if you're going to draw a charge on me, you're going to feel it. The next time you may move out the way. So I was just one of those guys that liked to get up and down the floor, liked to finish strong at the hoop. And um, that was my game, like running the floor, defending, like I said, and getting other people involved. So I kind of – embrace the nickname and try to live up to it in some form. Now you had to guard some of the great small forwards in a golden age of small forwards. Tell me if, tell me, I think all these guys you had to guard at probably at one point, Mark Aguirre, Bernard King, James Worthy, Adrian Dantley, Dominique Wilkins, Xavier McDaniel, Larry Nance, Alex English, and Larry Bird. You were guarding all those guys, right? Absolutely. That was my job when I um, showed up here in Houston. I knew first and foremost that, um, defensively, probably was one of the key ingredients for uh, giving me the opportunity to be drafted as high and uh, wind up in Houston. So I took pride in uh, playing defense, and my my um, whole thought process was if the guy scored 30, they were supposed to score 30 because at that time the small forward position was the scoring position in the league. And, I, and what I um, pride myself on was watching game film, being a student of the game, and guys who are professional scorers, you're just not going to stop them because every time down floor, their teammates is looking to get the ball. The ball has to go through them. Like when we, when I was with the Rockets, the ball had to go through Elijah Wan and Samson. Everybody knew it. So um, I just try to take maybe one thing away from them, try to make them do things that they were uncomfortable and get a hand up and uh, just stay with them. But my thought process was every time they touched the ball, the mindset was they were looking to score. 
Um, so you couldn't relax defensively, and it you know allowed me to make a couple of all NBA all defensive teams. And like I said, I took pride in defense. Who was the toughest of those guys to guard? Who did you hate going up against? I mean, I'm sure all of them had their problems, but who was the toughest? All of them had big games at one time or another. Um, it was just uh, they, they they scored in different ways. You you had AD who could get you in foul trouble. I mean, you couldn't even like breathe on him. They call a foul. Uh, he go to free throw line. You had. Alex English, who is just poetry in motion. You have Bernard King, who, you know, during the playoffs against the Celtics, 50, uh, 250 point games. It's just, it's hard to say. You got Dr. J, who was still doing this thing when I came in. But uh, I, I just, like I said, I took pride and took, uh, took the challenge. I was just like, you know what? I have opportunity to play against these great players. Let's see what I could do against them. And uh, at the end of the day, I thought I did a pretty good job in the 10 years that I had a chance to play in the NBA. You get worthy, and he's got that lightning quick first step to the basket. And, you know, he makes that move, and he's gone. And you play those guys in the 86 Western Conference Finals. What do you, what do you remember about that Western Conference Finals? Everybody remembers the Sampson shot. And, of course, and you you were the one who threw the threw the ball to Sampson with, the, with one of the great plays in NBA history. Well, you know, I have a lot of respect for James Worthy. I have a lot of respect for all the guys that I had the opportunity to play against for 10 years. I tell uh, guys that I coach now, I said, first and foremost, you have to respect the opponent because any given night they, they they could explode on you. They could have a good game. So um, anybody's capable of, you know, having just playing well. So uh, that, that year we had a chance to play the Lakers. I remember years past. You would always see the Lakers and the Celtics in the finals, and I would say, wow, nobody else can get to the finals, so here's our opportunity. We're supposed to be the young, up-and-coming team in the Western Conference. We're going against uh, the the Laker dynasty showtime, and the matchups, uh, you know, Worthy, me and Worthy was kind of similar, that we like to get out on the break, but he was, after Kareem, he was their go-to guy in the post, so... I knew I had my hands full, and um, but uh, we were just ready for the challenge. We had to go through some growing pains because the first couple of years we had trouble beating the Lakers. But that particular year, I believe we won the last meeting against them, and we were looking forward to you know having an opportunity to play them in the playoffs. And like I said before, in order to be be the best, you have to beat the best. And at that time, the Lakers were the best team in the NBA, and. Uh, they they pretty much handled us easily the first game. And then the next four games, we beat them four games in a row. And at that time, we were taking the games one one game at a time. And then when I look back on it, I was like, wow, we beat the Lakers four straight games to get to the uh, NBA Finals. And that was a feat in itself. And uh, it was just uh, the future looked bright for the Houston Rockets at that time. Three years in, two years with Olajuwon, third year with me, Ralph, uh, that uh, – we were uh, looked like we were going to be on top of the Western Conference for a, a long time to come. I've heard you say that, Ralph, you weren't surprised that he made this shot because he practiced that shot. Coach uh, Fitch would always say you have to have a basic go-to move. If we call your number a shot that you could depend on, it may not necessarily go in, but it's going to give us the best opportunity possibly to tie the game or win the game. And he would shoot some shots like that over over his shoulder it is not the prettiest shot, but um, when I, we went out there for the formation and I saw how the Lakers were lining up, I was anxious. I was just had my hands ready, like, please, Fisher, give me 
the ball like right now before the Lakers uh, realize that I have a direct line straight to Ralph. And I, I remember Worthy looking at Coach Riley, you want me to get on the ball, you want me to fall back in uh, Ralph's lap or how you want me to play it. And they were kind of in limbo. And when he gave me the ball, I was like, just, just make a good pass to him. McLean will inbound. One second on the clock. got a direct line to him and he touched his hand he shot it over his shoulder and it bounced up and it almost looked like when he slowed it down Mitch Wiggins was like right there like he was like man I could tip this in and I'm glad he just let it go and it trickled in and for a moment it was like we getting ready to go to the NBA finals and it was just a great feat at that time to eliminate the Lakers on their home floor and um have a celebration out there in L.A. And I just remember when we were in the locker room celebrating and they had like a tunnel that connected the Lakers locker room to the visitors locker room. And Magic came over there and congratulated us and told us good luck and wished us well and bring the, you know, championship back to the Western Conference. So um, it was just it was just one of those times that you remember for the rest of your life when uh, you had opportunity to, you know, playing NBA Finals. Was that your favorite moment in the NBA? Because you won a championship with Michael Jordan, but maybe weren't as involved with that team, and you were much more a part of, of, of what happened with the, the Rockets in 86. I believe it probably is because, like you said, as rookies, we came in and had just come off winning uh, 14 to 16 games, and we won like 29 games our rookie year. Then we get a large one, and then we make the playoffs. Uh, his rookie year, our second year in the league, we get knocked out by Utah, and you know how the NBA is or professional sports is. If they can improve the team, well, it's each year that they're looking to do that. But Coach Fitch came in with, a, like I said, a five-year plan, and we really never lost any of our core players. We, you know, at our first year was, I believe, um, Robert came back, Robert Reed came back, myself and Ralph, they picked up Lou Lloyd. The next year, we pick up Mitchell Wiggins and John Lucas um, and, of course, Olajuwon. And that was our core rotation right there. And then we picked up complementary players that knew their roles that made us work hard in practice. And uh, we just had great team chemistry. And I believe to be successful at any level that you have to spend time not only on the floor, but off the floor, practice over where we're going to eat at. We're going to eat at Luby's. Uh, you know, we had lunch together on the road. We may go to the movies, but um, we were just a, a tight, um, close-knit family because you spend more time with those guys during the year than your actual family because, you know, from October to if you're fortunate enough to go to the playoffs, it could be the June that you spend time with your, with your teammates. So you, you become close and um, – it's just a family atmosphere. Which Rocket were you closest with during those years? Uh, me and Ralph. Me and Ralph came in together as rookies. And um, actually, he was the first one that kind of gave me a hint that um, I might be coming to Houston because I didn't know officially until the night before the draft when Coach Fish actually called me and told me that they were going to select me tomorrow. But Ralph was uh, – we were in New York doing a um, – 
a little TV um, tour with the three networks, NBC, CBS, and ABC, and Ralph, myself, and Steve Stefanovich was up there. And uh, we were, ironically, in the restroom, and he came in there. I was washing my hands, and he kind of said, I think me and you going to Houston. Well, of course, we knew he was coming. that we going to Houston Tuesday. And I was like, really? But I didn't say anything to anybody because I know that things could change. And uh, and my father always told me things, uh, until they happen, then they, you don't know it's, it's, it's so. So uh, when, the Fitch, when Coach Fitch called me and told me that, I was still kind of unsure because between the night before and the day of, anything else, something else could happen, a trade or somebody could change their mind. So, But when they actually called my name, that's when I knew that I was heading to Houston. What about Akeem Olajuwon? Tell me what it was like to – to be around him on a regular basis. Uh, when the guys ask you what it was like to play with Elijah Warren, I'm sure your players ask you, what, what are the stories that, that you think of? Well, when I first saw him, of course, I played against him at, uh, in the Final Four. The first thing that came to mind was, man, this guy is a great offensive player because, you know, they never really threw him the ball and uh, until after, you know, me and Clyde came out the same draft. The next year, you kind of saw his offensive skill. But like I said, Michael Young was still there. Michael Young was still there. And uh, Elijah Wan, that's the first thing that came to mind. I was like, this guy has great footwork. Um, offensively, I didn't, I didn't know he could do that. But he was doing some things out there just on his talent and ability and being a student of the game, you saying it's uh, once he, you know, understands and learns the game more that he's really going to be uh, tough to to defend. He was already hard to guard just when he stepped on the floor as a rookie, and you just say, "Oh, this is this is going to be a problem for the league uh, the opponents for years to come." But he was a hard worker. He loved to not only practice, uh, compete in the games; he loved practice. Um, He's just one of those guys that when I laid on in my career uh, or my career was over, people would ask me, you know, was MJ the best that, you know, you ever played with? I was like, MJ, no no doubt, is one of the best players that ever played the game, but I'm not going, you know, slight, take anything away from him, Olajuwon, because he was a great player. And you were you were there that game, you were playing with him that game where against Seattle where he had about 40 40- eight and 24 or something like that in the playoffs i'm upset still upset about that game because we had home court advantage we lost the first two games in houston and uh, we went down there and won and that game you're talking about there was a missed call i wish they had instant replay where me and dream came down on a break two on one and i I probably looking back i should have laid it up but i dropped it off to him and he laid it in he laid it off the glass they hit it after it came off the glass. They wound up fouling him. He went and uh, knocked down two free throws, but had they counted the basket, we would have came back here for game uh, seven, which we felt though if we could get it back to Houston, that it would have been another matchup with the Lakers um, the next round. So, But that game was back and forth. He was incredible. We couldn't, they couldn't stop him. Um, but it was one of those uh, situations where losing – Two games at home caught up to us, and um, we made some mental mistakes that cost us the ball game and ultimately cost us the series, uh, not being able to get it back here to game seven. But I remember that game like we just played it yesterday. What do you remember about that playing against Larry Bird in the 86 finals and trying to 
figure out what to do with him. Well, I already knew it was going to be a handful. And I remember me and Coach Fish talking. And he was like, in order for us to, you know, have opportunity to win this thing, that I was going to have to play, you know, pretty good or uh, play close to the same kind of stat line or numbers that uh, Bird was going to um, play at. So, but I just went in there confident that um, I, I was going to play well, that we were going to play well, and we had a great opportunity to to win that series. Uh, looking back on it and listening to a lot of the historians, they recognized that Celtic team as possibly the best Celtic team of all time. You're looking at Larry Bird, Kevin McHale, Robert Parrish, Bill Walton, Dennis Johnson. That's five Hall of Famers, and that – at that time, there was a 2-3-2 format, and um, I believe that we had a great opportunity to steal game one, but when we came back here, we won two out of three games, and we should have won all three of the games, but we, uh, we, we missed the assignment at a cru- crucial point in the game in a pick-and-roll situation with um, Larry Bird and Bill Walton where we had already talked about what we were going to do had they pick-and-roll and we, we we misread or misplayed that one situation and left Larry Legend open, and he just drained a three-pointer. And instead, like I said, instead of winning through all three games here at Houston, we we um, we won two out of three. We went back to Boston, uh, down three two, and the rest is history. But again, we felt as though that that wasn't going to be our only appearance in the final. So. Well, we went through it. You had to go through some things, but we were looking forward to possibly coming back the next year. How worried were you about John Lucas? I mean, how that you guys went through a lot with with the situation with him in, in '86, going into '87 as well. Um, were you concerned about his well-being as that's going as all that stuff is going on? Well, at first, being a young guy in the league um, and not knowing what you know now as an older um, person that. First come to mind is how could you do this to the team? You know, we had great chemistry. We had a chance to do some great things together. And uh, this um, this happens. Uh, and now, uh, but that, that's the selfish uh, way of thinking. I didn't, knowing what you know now, that it's addiction and that people need help and, uh you think about the well-being of the person more so than winning championships. And we talk about that now when I see him and he he comes up to me, he's like, man, I'm with you guys, man. We got a championship. We got more than one championship. Uh, if I, you know, would have taken care of what I need to take care of. And and I always tease him. I said, it is not guaranteed we would have got to the final because you know you didn't play a lick of defense, right? So we lost a great, uh, basketball player, but I tease him about his defensive uh, end of the court inabilities, but um, he's uh, turned it around, um, happy for him. We talk about it, and um, of course, you know, older and more mature now, and like I said, I'm just glad that he, he was able to turn it around, and do I think that uh, we probably would have won the championship had he been with us? Absolutely. But uh, it was just some of those things. You got to go through things, and it's just unfortunate that um, that happened to him, happened to the ball club. But uh, today he's doing well, and I'm, I'm happy for him. We're still friends, still close. And what he's gone through is probably, you know, if he hadn't gone through it, he wouldn't have saved some other people's lives. So you have to think of it in those terms also. 
And so you lose him and you lose uh, Wiggins and Lloyd with the drugs. But was it his, just as big as anything that, that Ralph had the injury? I mean, what do you think was, the, was bigger that, you know, maybe the difference between you guys winning some championships? Um, obviously, all of them were, were important, but, you know, losing Ralph and, and that special thing that nobody else in the league had, with, which was the Twin Towers and Ralph and Akeem, uh, the, the injury to me, might have been as big as anything because those guys would have dominated together and were so young and it would have been for years and years. Well, you look at uh, uh, the league today and how it was back then that we were so um, – we wanted to get back on the court so fast because, one, we knew that, that our team needed us and and the uh, medical staff was – you know, they was pushing and, and things like that. But in today's game, they're just more – careful with uh, their superstar players like okay if it's six to eight weeks we might give you 10 weeks or you got rosters that are 15 uh, players deep now so there's a lot of factors um, today that you didn't have uh, you weren't accessible to uh, back in the day when we played but um, Ralph was already a thin guy he would come into training camp like 265 Opening day, he'd be down to 225. I was still scratching my head, but he was a hard worker. Um, he, he played power forward. He had to chase around guys like Tom Chambers, Carl Malone, and things like that. It was just uh, unfortunate that after his first knee injury that it uh, it kind of followed him throughout his uh, his career because when him and uh, uh, Dream were right together, unstoppable. I mean, they were, you know, they were working – like I don't know, high low. They were they 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 kind of figured it out. At first, it was just a feeling out process. The first year we went to the playoffs, but when I tell you, and we played the Lakers in that third year, they kind of figured out. Um, okay, whoever's playing uh, Kareem, we gonna turn them this way. When they they turn them back that way, here come the the other towel. Bam, <laughs> we going another way for fast break. So it was. I mean, if you just think about it, if they both were to stay healthy, they would have, I mean, we. it, it would have been something special. They'd still be talking about it right now. Just a couple of years that they played together, you could just look at highlights where it was no no pair of big men that, uh, that, that could match up with them. I mean, they both were agile. They both could run the floor. They 20, both of them 20 and 10. I mean, two guys on the same team averaging 20-plus points and 10 plus rebounds a game I mean it just was special at that time do you look at the the Rockets part of your career as a that's the main part of your career and and kind of it's everything else because you've come back here you've made Houston your home that was a team that you got drafted on you'd, you'd go to play for Dallas and uh Chicago and Sacramento and all so is, is it, does, does this feel like it's it's your, your main team still to this day yeah, they gave me my first start. Uh, they gave me the opportunity to live a lifelong dream. Um, like, um, I met my wife here. It's a great city. Um, so I remember when when I got traded, that's when you realize that it's a business, and it kind of hurt. But as you're flying out to your new destination, you kind of perk up and said, yeah, I would just love to still be in Houston, but I'm still in the NBA. What am I, you know, upset about? Um, you're still – playing a game that you love to play and uh it was an adjustment me and Jim Peterson went out there together and um that's why you got to make business decisions it still hurts because 
You know, you you have relationships with people. Uh, you you do everything they ask you to do, and then you're looking in the mirror, like trying to figure out what you did wrong to get you know get traded. But like I said, you look at the history of the game and sports. That very rarely do you see um, one player stay in one place for a long time. You, I mean, you could count on maybe two hands, a uh, handful of people that played their whole career with one organization. That's just how it is. But it doesn't make it any easier the first time you get that call or notified that you, you've been traded. Last thing I wanted to ask you about is Michael Jordan, of course. And what did you learn about Michael Jordan that you didn't know playing against him all those years, playing with him? Well, when, when, when you go from one team to another, and of course every team has got a great player, and you're always wondering when you get there, and as, as when I got Chicago, does you know does he practice every day? You know how is it going to be? So I remember the first practice I went to, they had just came off of the dream the dream team. So um, him and Scotty, um, Phil gave them like first week, a couple of weeks off in um, exhibition to try to give them some rest. But uh, when they came back to practice, I remember just walking to practice, and he's like one of the first ones to practice. And they practice hard. He de- doesn't miss practice. And I'm like, call my brother. I was like, he's like, so MJ practice all the time? I said, every day. I said, he wasn't the first ones here. Matter of fact, practice be over. And um, he's still here. Um, so it's um, it's just one of those things where, that he, you know, to be the best, I mean, he puts in the work. Um, he's dedicated, he's focused. And when you see your best players, even like when I was in Houston with Elijah Sanson, you see your best players, uh, the hardest workers are working hard. You can't help but do the same thing. So if you see your heart, you know, your best players being laid and or whatever they may be, then you got some guys who, I mean, you know, Rodney's late. So, I mean, so I'm late one time, but. Oh, but your best players, your hardest workers, f- focused, um, can't wait to game time. Um, it just trickles down to the rest of the team. But that was a great experience. It's just unfortunate at that time, um, body had started breaking down. And, and I just remember um, the late Moses Malone was telling me, they playing you too many minutes. You're playing too many minutes. But I was like, I feel great. I just feel great. I want to be out there. He was like, but it's, it's taking a toll. You're talking about 82 games, 100-plus games. If you make the playoffs, it, you need to rest because even in the offseason, the uh, four or five years that we didn't make the playoffs, I'm watching the playoffs. I might take a month off, but I might go home to the boys' and girls' club and some friends of mine that I grew up with playing basketball. I'm out there playing in May, so you, I'm not really giving my, ch- uh, my body a chance to heal because I love the game so much. Uh, that I want to continue to play it, but I, um, just you, you could just feel that some things that you were able to do maybe two years prior to getting to Chicago that your mind is telling you to go to the ball, go get it, but your 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 legs wouldn't wouldn't get there. So I kind of told my brother even before that year started, I was like, physically, if I you know don't um, start feeling better, this could be my last year. You are talking about at age thirty one, and um, I just was one of those players that I knew if I wasn't at my best that it, it could be trouble out there because these guys, they're just too good. They're not going to, you know, cut you any slack. Yeah, I know you hurt, but I got to 
I got to put it on you tonight, and I wanted to be at my best to kind of measure where I was uh, in the league. So it was one of those things I was happy to get 10, 10 years in, and uh, it was just a great experience in Chicago because each organization is run different. Each player, you know, team is different, but those guys were true professionals. They worked hard, and um, everything that uh, I saw before I got there – championship runs and all that I could see why they you know was part of a three I was in the third year of the uh, first three peak of the three guys that I think of of your main coaches you had some great ones Denny Crum and Bill Fitch and Phil Jackson which one do you take the most from when you're coaching your guys who do you feel like you're you're using a lot of his stuff I'd say Coach Crum because Coach Crum I've learned stuff from all of them and um, I've learned that you have to be able to adapt to um each each coach you play for, um, Coach Crum was not a screaming hollerer. He um, he told you what he expected, and if you didn't do it, you'd be sitting on the bench. So he knew playing time was the key for everybody. They didn't like sitting on the bench. And I could tell you a story. When I first got there, I wasn't the hardest worker in practice, but when we scrimmage and it's game time, I could perform in the game. And we played our first game against South Alabama. And I'm I'm uh, I'm sitting on the bench. All right, coach getting ready to call me. And I, you know, every time he looked down, I was looking back at him, and he called somebody next to me, and the, and the final buzzer went off, and I didn't get in the game, and I was sitting in the locker room. I was clearly upset, and they were like, "Put your uniforms in the pile," so I the uh, the athletic uh, the equipment guy could wash it. And I'm taking my stuff off. Like, you don't even have to wash my stuff. I ain't even play tonight. And my brother's sitting next to me. He's like, what's wrong with you? I said, I can't believe that coach didn't put me in the game. He's like, you thought you were going to play? I said, yeah, I be killing in the scrimmages. He's like, yeah, you do. He said, but you lazy in practice. He said, it ain't about the games. I said, you got, you got, to, you got to transform that, uh, bring that in practice. And I'm looking at him like, man, you my brother. You're supposed to tell me, you know, you're supposed to agree with me. He's like, I'm telling you the truth. Don't you want me to tell you the truth? It's going to make you better down the road. So I got that message. He got hurt the third year. And it took his injury. I tell people today it took his injury to, and, and getting printed in my mind that I had to work hard um, each time, no matter whether it was practice or a game, that it, it, it just pays off down the road. But. Coach Crumb, I, I never heard him swear or anything. Uh, he had that program rolled up, and he'd tell us some stories about when he was at UCLA with Coach Wooden. And um, you don't have to be a screamer and hollering. You can get your point across other ways. Um, you know, Coach Fitch was, you know, from the military background, and um, you ain't got to like me, but at the in the end, if you, if you, you can look at some of the – things that Coach McHale has said that him and Coach Fish didn't get along when he got at Boston, but he understood it later on that he helped make him be the player, become the player that he was because he was so hard on him because he saw the potential in him. Same thing with uh, Robert Parrish coming over from Golden State. So you just have to be focused and um, listen and learn. You can learn from everybody. You don't think you know it all because even at this point it's age 55, I can look at uh, – I, I listen to NBA TV, Coach Hubie Brown and Coach Popovich, and 
and you hear him talk and talk about different players, different personalities, and I was like, oh, that's a different spin on it, that players are who they are. Don't try to change them. You just try to, you know, communicate with them and, and things like that. But when you try to change them into something that they're not, that's when, you, you know, it, it could cause problems. Well, I wanted to just thank you for taking so much of your time with us. And also thank you for all the great memories over the years uh, with the Rockets. Uh, you know, it's a, the first team that I kind of fell in love with was, was your teams. And, you know, I have faint memories of the Moses Malone teams, but you guys are the ones I remember and uh, just a lot of great memories and love following you. And I really appreciate you taking, taking the time and good luck with you got your guys over here at Victory Prep. Thanks a lot. You're listening to Houston Sports Talk. Don't forget to follow Houston Sports Talk on Facebook and Twitter. Subscribe to us on iTunes, Spotify, the Google Podcast app, or the Stitcher app. You can support us by giving us a five-star review on iTunes or by telling your friends about us. Spread the word, everybody. Thanks for listening.